Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production, where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Welcome to the Mansion on the Hill. This is the home of Terry's serious moments, stories of oddness, of weirdness. Of nature gone strange. This is season four. We thank you for coming along for the ride. Hope you enjoy it. Hello, friends. The podcast is moving up in the world. I got a message that the San Antonio Public Library has added. Terry's Mysterious Moments as a staff podcast pick. Isn't that cool? Just want to let you know, there's a message on my Facebook page for Terry's Mysterious Moments that gives you the details on how to get there if you want to go look. Just want to let you know that. Thanks. Bye. We welcome you to Mysterious Land, Mysterious Land, Mysterious Land. We welcome you to Mysterious Land. So sit right back and enjoy the show. Welcome to Terry's Mysterious Moments. Ships with mysteries attached make good, bone-chilling stories. Hauntings on board quickly become accepted lore. The SS Great Eastern was an iron-sailing steamship. She was by far the largest ship ever built at the time and had the capacity to carry 4,000 passengers from England to Australia without refueling. Her length was 692 feet. The ship's five funnels were rare and later reduced to four. It also had the largest set of paddle wheels. During the ship's first sea trials off Hastings in 1859, the heater attached to the paddle engine boilers exploded on the forward deck. Six firemen died, painfully scalded by hot steam. Others were seriously injured. Some workers jumped overboard and drowned. The captain of the ship, while sailing from Hythe to Southampton in the ship's smaller boat, hit a squall near the Southampton dock and capsized. He and two others were found dead. They drowned. One of the deceased was the purser's 14-year-old son. The ship quickly gained the reputation of being cursed. On our first crossing to North America, 
the ship only carried 43 passengers. Many of these passengers quickly regretted their decision to travel on the Great Eastern. During this voyage, they and crew members were startled to hear loud tapping, moans, and shouts coming from the ship's hull. During this first crossing, one seaman fell overboard into the thrashing paddle wheel and died. When the frightened passengers reached New York, they were relieved, but the ship once more experienced bad luck. A large rock gashed the bottom of her outer hull outside New York Harbor, and as the Great Eastern arrived, its paddle wheel sheared five feet off the dock. There were few docks at the time that could accommodate the eastern size. A crew of riveters was brought in to repair the damage, but hearing the odd noises for themselves and knowing the ship was considered haunted, they refused to continue their work. After this, the ship was thoroughly searched to try and find the source of the odd sounds, but nothing was found. It was now firmly believed that the Great Eastern was cursed, plus rumors started to circulate that the sounds heard were the ghosts of two riveters that had been mistakenly sealed within the two hulls. On its second crossing in 1861, the ship had 400 passengers aboard, but a hurricane hit the Eastern, which damaged it, and it did not continue the passage. It limped back to Britain. After this, the loud tapping with the screams and moans continued to frighten the few passengers that did sail on board the ship. In 1866, the ship made five trips, carrying thousands of miles of coil inside her hull. This coil was used to lay the first successful transatlantic telegraph cable. It was considered the one success the Great Eastern achieved. The ship was no longer used as a passenger ship. The Great Eastern was then put up for auction. It was sold for a fraction of its worth. In 1889, after 31 years of service and 33 deaths, she was sold to an English company for scrap. One more death occurred when two crew members dismantling her got into a fight. One man was hit over the head and died. It took 200 men two years, working 24-7, to dismantle the Great Eastern. During this time, several newspapers reported the discovery of two skeletons in the inner shell of the port side. This reinforced people's belief that this ill-fated ship was indeed haunted. The Great Eastern was probably haunted, but not by two enclosed bashers, which is what they were called. Considering all the accidental deaths that occurred on board, it was perhaps one or more of these unfortunate souls that haunted the ship, if anyone. The world's oldest active iron hull sailing ship, the Star of India, was built in 1863 on the Isle of Man. Life aboard any ship is dangerous, and the Star of India had her share of misfortunes. Ghosts of several unfortunate sailors and passengers still haunt the decks and cabins. In 1884, a young stowaway still in his teens by the name of John Campbell was discovered and put to work. One day soon after, Campbell lost his footing high in the rigging and fell 100 feet to the deck, crushing both legs. He survived three more days before he died and was buried at sea. Visitors sometimes report feeling a cold hand touching them when they're near the mast where Campbell fell. An alternate story tells of a younger boy 
named Oswald Letts, a stowaway indeed, and when found hiding was given work in order to pay his passage. Even still, Oswald had much time to be a child and play with the other children on board. One day, either by dare or by childish curiosity, Oswald began climbing the rigging. He was high up when a wave hit the ship, so the story goes, and knocked him loose. Oswald fell all the way into the hold, and so ended Oswald. But Oswald apparently still remains on board and plays a phantom game of hide-and-seek. Back during Oswald's lifetime, hide-and-seek wasn't just a touch-you-you're-out game. The person who was it would draw an S on the back of his tagged victim. It seems that Oswald still does that even now. Sometimes the smell of fresh-baked bread seems to come from the ship's galley, although the stove has been cold for many, many years. Even when the ship sits still in the water, pots and pans above the stove have been seen to move. The heavy anchor chain goes below the deck into a dark storage area. A Chinese crewman was in the locker at one time when he shouldn't have been. Preparing to start a sea voyage requires several sailors pushing on wooden bars set into a capstan to raise the anchor and stow the anchor chain. No one knew their crewmate was in the chain locker below. The noisy machinery brought up the anchor and fed the iron chain into the compartment below. Not hearing the screams of the trapped victim, the crew continued to haul in the anchor while the chain slowly crushed the hapless man. The crew's quarters were often the scene of deaths. Crewmen taken below after horrible accidents or stricken by illness spent their last days here. In these tight spaces you can feel the cold and sense the fear that still haunts the ship. In more recent times, the Star of India sits moored, a teaching ship, in San Diego, California. The spirit of Clow Boderman is a Norwegian-based tale. It seems that if Clow Boderman visits your ship, in times of trouble I would assume, then no one on board the ship will be taken by the sea. It seems that Clow Boderman saved the captain of a fishing boat and his two crewmen in a terrible storm off Morro Bay in California. But why would a Norwegian legend save a captain of a small fishing boat in California? The captain is of Norwegian descent. King George V, before he was made king, was captaining a vessel when he witnessed an apparition of what is known as the Flying Dutchman. His description of the vessel said the sails seemed to glow with an unearthly light. Other reports of the Dutchman have similar details. Some are different, but all are incredibly eerie. A strange tale comes from off the coast outside the once thriving port of Salem, Massachusetts. Yes, that's Salem. It seems to confirm a concept that if a seaman dies at sea, his work is never done. A hurricane was coming in hard, fast, and furious. In such a situation, ships which are not properly anchored and otherwise secured can become dangerous battering rams against other ships or helpless victims of shoals, rocks, or other ocean-related dangers. The sloop Charles Haskell was made as ready to ride out the storm as possible. Sails were stowed, and the storm anchor was set out. When the storm was in its worst fury, 
the storm anchor was carried away and the Haskell became a deadly torpedo-like object in the storm. Horrifyingly, another ship, the Andrew Johnson, appeared in front of the Haskell. Unable to control the ship, the Haskell basically sliced the Johnson in two. Crew of the Haskell said the crew of the Johnson watched, stunned into inactivity, as the ships collided. It was said that the crew of the Johnson could have simply boarded the Haskell. The distance was so small, but their shock caused them to stay on board the Johnson as it sank, killing ten sailors. Repairs of the minor damage suffered by the Haskell were affected, and the ship was put back to sea to bring in more fish. One night, the deck watch noticed something strange, figures climbing aboard the Haskell from the sea. The number grew to ten, at which point the figures took up positions around the ship and began doing the work that was called for. They began fishing. It was reported that when approached, the figures looked up from their work, gave a shrug as saying, What are you going to do? We got to do our jobs. The figures appeared the next night also. Reports of hauntings aboard the Haskell continued for some time to come. Wreckers were a scourge of the coastlines. These were people who made a living both collecting abandoned cargo from ships which broke up off the coast. And this type of wrecker wasn't exactly the problem. The ones who instigated the destruction of ships in order to recover their cargo for profit were the bad ones. Sometimes if there were crew and passengers on board the ships, the wreckers would kill them to eliminate witnesses. There are stories of phantoms coming out of the surf and dragging wreckers out to sea. Other hauntings on or near the ocean are just as chilling. Take for instance the story of Fort Zachary Taylor on Key West, Florida. Fort Taylor was taken and held by Union troops before and during the entirety of the American Civil War. Control of the fort, bristling with cannon, put a foot on the throat of Confederate blockade runners and severely limited their effectiveness in Florida. While the Confederates were no big problem for Fort Taylor's defenders, there was an enemy no one could really fight off, yellow fever. It caused most of the deaths which occurred there. After the war, the fort was reduced in size in the physical aspect of its campus and in its complement of troops. Now it's a smaller building, but a big source of artifacts from the war years, and one researcher was aided in finding many of the artifacts by a ghost, or rather, a ghostly dream. Howard England, an architect on the local naval base, began searching for artifacts in the fort, but was discouraged when he couldn't find evidence of cannon that he was searching for. He went home one night, tired and frustrated, couldn't really get into a good sleep, but during the night he did have a dream where a man appeared to him, identified himself by name, and told England where the items he was looking for were buried. Next morning, England moved to the spot indicated by the dream figure and found what he had been searching for. Later on, when the story broke into the news, a family came forward and told England that the man who had appeared to him was indeed their ancestor and that he had served at the fort and that he had died there. Proof was given to verify their claims. Other places on Key West have strange stories attached to them. 
Carl Tanzler, a.k.a. Count Carl van Kossel, was a man of many talents. The German-born radiologist, who was most definitely not a count, claimed to have nine university degrees, be a former submarine captain, and an accomplished inventor. In reality, he was an eccentric and lonely man who had abandoned his wife and children in Germany to work in the United States Marine Hospital in Key West, Florida. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. After taking the job at the hospital in 1927, Carl maintained a relatively low profile and mostly kept to himself. That is, until he met Maria Elena Milagro de Hoyos. When the 21-year-old Cuban beauty came in for an examination, Carl knew immediately that Hoyos was the woman of his dreams. Literally. For years, Carl had been plagued by visions of a beautiful, dark-haired woman who was destined to be the love of his life. Unfortunately for Elena, Carl assumed she was this apparition in human form. Carl's examination yielded a grim prognosis for Elena, and Oyos was diagnosed with tuberculosis, a highly fatal disease at the time. Now that Carl had found a soulmate, he was determined to save her life, sparing zero expense and displaying a total irreverence for hospital authority. Carl set out to find a miracle cure for his Elena. He administered homemade specialty tonics and medicines, illegally brought x-ray and electrical equipment to the Oyos' house for home treatments, all while showering Elena with copious gifts and professing his love. It is unknown if poor Elena reciprocated these feelings. Despite Tansler's best efforts, Elena died of complications from her disease on October 25th of 1931. Tansler insisted on paying out of pocket for Elena to be buried in an expensive stone mausoleum, and with the approval of her family, he hired a mortician to clean and fix up her body before placing it in the tomb. He had to do that because she had been buried for two years prior to the mausoleum being built. One fact her family remained ignorant of was that Tansler was the only person with the key to the mausoleum. After two years of visiting Elena's mausoleum nightly and generally creeping everyone out with his dead patient obsession, Tansler was fired from his job and ceased going to Elena's final resting place, which the Oyos family found rather odd, considering his previous behavior. Little did they know, Tansler was far from satisfied with his nightly visits. He needed more quality time with his decaying dream girl, so he put Elena's rapidly decomposing carcass on a toy wagon and transported it to a makeshift lab he had fashioned inside of an old airplane. Using plaster of Paris, wires, mortician's wax, and glass eyes, Tansler brought Elena back to life and proceeded to take her to his home where the pair shared a marital bed and all that that entails. 
Over the years, Tansler kept Elena alive using wire hangers to preserve her frame, stuffing her abdominal cavity with rags, routinely reapplying wax to her face, replacing her decaying scalp with real hair, and constantly dousing her in disinfectants and oils to mask the rotting smell of her body. While attending to the physical demands of his moldering bride, Carl attended to her material needs as well, purchasing clothing and perfume, and even installing a curtained cloth veil for privacy on the bed they shared. This domestic Ed Gaines-style bliss went on for seven years. Everything was going great until people inevitably started asking questions. The combination of Carl's habit of routinely buying women's clothing, his absence from the mausoleum, and a local boy sighting of him through a window dancing with what appeared to be a giant doll aroused some serious suspicion. The rumors began to swirl that Tansler was keeping Elena in his house. In October of 1940, Elena's sister confronted Tansler at his home. He allowed her inside, and to her horror, she was met with what appeared to be a wax dummy of her sister, if only. Elena's sister alerted the authorities, which seized the doll, only to discover it was actually Elena's rotted corpse. Not only that, but while performing an autopsy on Elena's remains, coroners discovered some very upsetting additions to Elena's corpse, which I won't go into for the sake of propriety. Tangela was arrested and stood trial for wantonly and maliciously destroying a grave and removing a body without authorization. That's it? The trial became a media sensation, and surprisingly, the majority of the public, especially women, supported Tansler, finding him to be an eccentric romantic. While on the stand, Carl claimed that he planned to use an airship to take Oyos high into the stratosphere so that radiation from outer space could penetrate Elena's tissues and restore life to her somnolent form, which made about as much sense as anything else during the hearing. Tanzler was eventually cleared since the statute of limitations on his crimes had expired. Legal's legal, but come on. However, since the trial had garnered so much media attention, and because this took place in Florida, I'm not sure what that has to do with it, but okay. Elena's body was put on public display at a local funeral home where thousands of people got to view her disturbing form. One local resident, who was a child at the time, reported that school let out so the children could even view her body, which this local resident thought was the most morbid, disgusting, scary thing he'd ever witnessed. After the gawking was over, Elena was finally reburied in an unmarked grave in the middle of the night so that she could rest in peace without any further romantic shenanigans. As for Carl Tansler, after asking for Elena's body, which was an inappropriate request at best, and it was obviously denied, he lived the rest of his days without further incident, although with a life-sized effigy made from Elena's death mask as a companion. Truth, after all, is forevermore stranger than fiction. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for being along for the ride.
I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast. Aaron reads listener stories, mostly ghost stories, sometimes UFOs, sometimes cryptids. On Tuesday, Aaron Frail brings you Aaron's Horror Show, different things that he's written. He reviews movies, books, things like that. On Wednesday, it's me, Terry from Texas, with Terry's Mysterious Moments, where we talk about just about anything there is to talk about. And at the first weekend of the month, we have video from The Witching Hour and Unexplained Cases. Aaron has instituted a new area called Entertaining Short Films. That's exactly what they are. They're just short stories, short notes, if you will, and nothing in particular, no particular genre, just entertaining. Remember that you can go to your app store, whether you have Apple or Android, download the RPA app, which is a black square with a blue eye in the middle of it, Download that to the device that you listen to the program on. Install it, and when you open that up, you can go straight to the Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, and its network. So all the all the stories that are involved with RPA are there, so you don't have to go hunting for them. If you want to contact me at Terry's Mysterious Moments, you can do that on the Facebook page. And it's called Terry's Mysterious Moments. Or you can email me at Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. Now, Terry's Mysterious Moments is all lowercase without a hyphen between the Y and the S on Terry's. Contact me if you want to. Let's talk about some things. And that's about it. We'll be back. So hang in there. Listen to the other shows. Have a good week, everybody. Thank you.